0: How's everyone doing today? Good. I got my boss sitting right up front, so I got to be really careful. <clears throat> hey, would you join me in a word of prayer? Let's, uh, like I, I, as I like to do, let's start by going to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, as we gather together today, again, we implore you to be in our, in our midst. We pray that your spirit would have his way. And Lord, we would give you all the room in the world to speak to us on a very deep level. And Lord, change us in the moment. We are so grateful for your word and the gathering that we have here today. And we pray that you are blessed. So Lord, I I guess I would end this prayer like a little boy once prayed. Lord, bless us today. And Lord, please make sure you take care of yourself. Because without you, we would be sunk. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, um, there's this story that goes like this. A three-year-old boy who went to the grocery store with his mother. Now, for those of you, any of you that have toddlers, this is going to sound eerily, eerily similar to what may be in real life. Before they entered the grocery store, she said to him, now, you're not going to get any chocolate chip cookies, so don't even ask. So she put him up in the cart, and he sat in the little child seat where she wheeled down the aisles. He was just doing just fine until they came to the cookie section. He saw the chocolate chip cookies, and he stood up in the the seat and said, Mom, can I have some chocolate chip cookies? She said, I told you not to even ask. You're not going to get any at all, so sit back down. They continued down the aisles, but in their search for certain items, they ended up back in the cookie aisle. Mom, can I please have some chocolate chip cookies, she said. I told you that you can't have any. Now sit down and be quiet. Finally, they were approaching the checkout lane. Now the little boy sensed that this may be his last chance. So just before they got to the line, he stood up on the seat of the cart and shouted in his loudest voice, In the name of Jesus, can I please have some chocolate chip cookies? (laughs) And everybody around about just laughed, and some even applauded. And due to the generosity of the other shoppers, the little boy and his mother left the store with 23 boxes of chocolate chip cookies. Now the power of an effective prayer. Prayer. It's a mysterious thing, isn't it? Richard Foster says of it, We today yearn for it. We, we today yearn for prayer and hide from prayer. We are attracted to it, And repelled by it. N.T. Wright, one of my favorite theologians, says of it, Prayer is one of life's great mysteries. Most people pray at least sometimes. Some people, in many very different religious uh, traditions, pray a great deal. At its lowest, prayer is shouting into a void. On the off chance there may be someone out there listening. At its highest, prayer merges into love as the presence of God becomes so real that we pass beyond words and into a sense of His reality, generosity, delight, and grace. Now, for most Christians, it takes place somewhere in between those two extremes. We all do it, whether we thought we knew how to do it or not. When the proverbial hits, uh, stuff hits the fan, we pray. When we desperately won something out of our reach, a prize, A jackpot, a job, a special promotion, we pray for divine intervention and favor. When life knocks us down with tragedy or illness, we get on our knees and pray with desperation. When loved ones suffer, we pray. We pray to God for everything that we need. Heck, some of you may be praying right now that this sermon is short. Pray hard, you just never know. Some of us even pray about what we should wear each day, even today. And as I look out at some of you guys, you should have prayed harder. (laughs) We all pray to one extent or another. It's strange that while praying, we seldom ask for a change of character, uh, but always seem to ask for a change in circumstance. Isn't that right? You know, like uh, this past year during the Super Bowl when my Patriots were down to the last 30 seconds of the game. They had a shot of Tom Brady with his hands clasped and his head bowed. And I'm going, is he praying? He's praying. And of course, you know what happened? His prayers got answered. You know, but the common denominator for most of us when it comes to prayer is that we pray or we tend to pray when we are in need. As we continue in our series on the guide to the good life, we come to the topic of how to pray. But in answering that question of how, I believe we must first answer why. I believe we must first answer why. The why we pray determines how we pray. The why we pray determines how we pray. The reason for our prayers determines how we pray. You know, the question of how to pray is a question that was asked long ago of Jesus by his disciples. And and Jesus' answer was pretty simple, as recorded in Matthew 6. He said, don't pray to show off your piety. That's hypocrisy. But rather pray in secret, he says. And when you pray, be simple and to the point. Basically, he says, don't don't be so long-winded. And then he gave an example, a framework of how we should pray, which we all are very familiar with. He said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now within this section of the Beatitudes is a section that Jesus was talking about, piety, Religious piety. He talked about generosity and prayer and fasting. And Jesus' big point was that true piety should be done in secret and not with an eye on the audience. In other words, the how, we pray, reveals the why when it comes to such things as piety. And the thing that really got under Jesus' skin was hypocrisy. I mean... It really irked him. He called the religious leaders of his day some pretty harsh things. One of them was a brood of vipers. And in this short passage, Jesus called those who prayed with wrong motives, with false piety, hypocrites. And interestingly enough, in verse 5 of chapter 6, he tells his listeners that these people who pray with wrong motives have already received their reward in full. Nothing awaits them later on. Their reward is the notice of their audience, not the audience of the one who they think they are praying to. The why we pray determines how we pray. And I guess the inverse uh, may be true as well. How we pray reveals the reasons of our prayers. The why. Pastor, are you saying That bringing our requests to God may be a bad thing. No, not at all. That's not what I'm saying. But it's here that Jesus gives us a framework for how we should pray. And bringing our requests to God is definitely a part of the framework. But if you look closely, the bulk of what we know of the Lord's Prayer is focused not on us and our needs though they are important. It is mainly focused on God, the Father, and His will and His power to deliver us. And yet, most of our prayers tend to focus on our needs, if we're honest, rather than the desire of the Father. So perhaps we need a paradigm shift of sorts when it comes to the why do we pray question. At this point, I will assume some things that it's not the mechanics of how to pray with which we struggle. I will assume that we will all have some sort of idea of those mechanics. But it's the purpose of prayer that I like to focus on momentarily that will eventually lead us to a general idea of how to pray. Listen to what Richard Foster, the author of Prayer, a book called Prayer, and the book The Celebration of Discipline, says about prayer. He says, Of all the spiritual disciplines... Prayer is the most central because it ushers us into perpetual communion with the Father. Perpetual communion with the Father. I believe what he's saying is that prayer is the central vehicle in which we sustain our intimate relationship with God. See, from the word we know his heart. Uh, But it's through prayer that we can really develop intimacy. See, in the Gospels, the Bible tells us Uh, that on a regular basis, Jesus kept himself away for hours at a time to spend time in prayer. And it was at this time, as we understand it, that he communed with the Heavenly Father to connect, to refocus, to recenter himself on the Father and his will. Uh, But here's this thing. But in every passage on prayer throughout the Scriptures, uh, there's this implication that we may not necessarily see on the pages. And it's this, that during prayer, there is a time to listen. Probably the most missed aspect of prayer than anything else, a time to yield and just listen. You know, I have a toddler who just turned five. Right. And uh, isn't it interesting as, uh, for those of you that are parents, we spend the first four years of any child's life saying, come on, you can say it. You can say a word. Come on, you can. And they start talking. And then from around, around age five and on, we spend the rest of their lives telling them to be quiet. Right. And can I tell you, like any toddler, it's just it's this is not distinctive to my you know, five year old. She's at that age where she just talks and talks, and talks. She has found her voice, right? She's found her voice, and she just loves to hear herself talk, right? uh, uh, Parents of toddlers, you know this, right? They just talk and talk. She'll talk over anybody, you know? During dinner, she's like, can you please put some food in your mouth because our ears hurt. That's actually some of the things you say. Hey, look, this is the same with all toddlers, right? Just talks and talks and talks. It's kind of like that person that you know that is an over-talker. You know anybody that, over, that talks over you and, and, and uh, uh, interrupts you in mid-sentence because they always have something to say? Can you imagine having a relationship with an over-talker? It would be so annoying. Look what St. Augustine said. It was your Lord who put an end to long-windedness. So that you would not pray as if you wanted to teach God by your many words. Awesome. He said this. Piety, not verbosity, is in order when you pray, since he knows your needs. Now, someone perhaps will say, But if you if he knows our needs, why should we state our requests even in a few words? Why should we pray at all since he knows? Let him give what he deems necessary for us. Even so, he wants you to pray so that he may confer his gifts on one. Who really desires them and will not regard them lightly. You know, it's in the listening that we start to learn perhaps the power of prayer. That prayer is not a vehicle to change God's mind about anything, but rather, listen carefully, prayer is the vehicle in which God uses to change our minds and our hearts, a vehicle to change us. See, ultimately, the purpose of prayer is not what we want, but to learn what God wants and what God gives. You know, in a scene from Shadowlands, for some of you that may have seen this movie, a film based on the life of C.S. Lewis, there's a scene. Lewis has returned to Oxford from London where he has just been married to Joy Gresham, an American woman, in a private Episcopal ceremony performed at her hospital bedside. She's dying from cancer. And through the struggle with her illness, she and Lewis have been discovering the depth of their love for one another. As Lewis arrives at the college where he teaches, he is met by Harry Harrington, an Episcopal priest, who asks what news there is. C.S. Lewis hesitates, then deciding to speak of the marriage and not the cancer, he says, Ah, good news, I think, Harry. Yes, good news. Now, Harrington, not aware of the marriage and thinking that Lewis is referring to Joy's medical situation, replies, I know know how hard you've been praying. Now, God is answering your prayer. Lewis responds, that's not why I pray, Harry. I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, uh, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God it changes me. So how does prayer do this? True biblical prayer do this. Just like anything else we desire, we work at it. And the way we approach the throne of grace, the way we approach prayer, the why we pray takes practice. And sooner or later, from the inside out, we start to change. The more we become intimate with God in prayer, the more we become, become more in tune, the more updated with who he is, how his heart beats. In essence, the more you spend time with someone, the more you start to emulate that person. It's a lesson my youth pastor taught me when I was just about to go to college. She said, Justin, I want to say something to you. She said, who you surround yourself with who you spend the most time with, that's who you'll start to emulate and imitate. Never forgot that. Never forgot that. But I, can, I believe I can put it even more simply. And it's this. Being in the presence of God changes people. Being in an active, intimate relationship with God changes us from the inside out because it replaces old desires with new desires. You know, Max Lucado in his book, In the Eye of a Storm, talks about traveling from one speaking ga- engagement to another. He had, traveled for, he had traveled from San Antonio to Boston and, uh, and spoken at a gathering in Boston. Then he was flying back across the country to Edmonton, Canada to fulfill a speaking engagement there. Now, when his plane landed in in, uh, Minneapolis and he had to change airplanes, he was thinking about how tired and hungry he was and how crowded the airplane had been and how his back was aching and his mind was hurting. And trying as he might, he couldn't even remember who was supposed to meet him at his destination in Canada. As he was heading to the gate to catch his next airplane, he saw McDonald's in the distance and thought, that looks good, that looks good. Uh, Maybe I'll run over there and buy a hamburger, and that will at least uh, satisfy satisfy my hunger pains. Then he writes, I passed something better. I passed the telephone and decided to call home. I called and my wife answered the phone. I'm convinced that when my wife gets to heaven, he writes, she's going to be at the reception desk welcoming everyone because when she answers the phone, it makes you feel so good. He continued, I just talked with her. We settled earth-shaking issues. We talked about the weather in San Antonio versus the weather in New England. We talked about what the girls did when they went to school that day and that one of them was going to have a friend over to spend the evening. We talked about earth-shattering things like that, he said. And after I had finished talking with her, I really felt good. Then she passed the receiver over to one of my daughters who told me about her day. When she finished, she said, I love you, Dad. And he said, It felt good to be loved. Uh, Then the phone was passed over to the next daughter, and she talked to him for a while, and she said, I miss you, Dad. And he said, it felt good to be missed. Then he said, uh, they passed the phone over to the little six-month-old baby, and I talked to my baby over the phone. I cooed, and I talked baby talk, and the people passing by looked at me in strange ways. But it felt good to be cooed at. Then we hung up, and I made my way on to the next gate. He recalled, I forgot how hungry I was. I forgot how tired I was because I had called home. And that made made all the difference in the world. Then he added, maybe we all ought to call home more often. If you do, you will find the listening ear of God so anxious to talk to you. And he will make you feel good from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. And as you grow in your love, you will find your fears disappear. See, and once we master the motives of our prayers, the why we pray, it starts to answer the question of how as Jesus quickly framed for us in the Lord's Prayer. Start with praise. Our Father who art in heaven, all glory and honor to your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth and in heaven. Then bring your requests and your confessions to him. Give us this day of what we need and forgive us of our sins just as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Then continue on with more adoration and proclamations of who he is. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one because only you can, O oh God. And then most importantly, yield and listen. Stop talking. Be silent before the Lord. Give God the time to work on you and speak to you. Listen carefully. Feel his love and grace, his presence. Be patient. To work, uh, The work it takes to quiet the heart is immense. But it's here that the foundation for prayer that is powerful begins. There's this uh, story a pastor tells about an interesting experience... After a baptism service in their church, he writes, I bumped into a woman in the stairwell who was crying. I thought this was a little odd since the service was so joyful. I asked her if she was all right. She said, no, I'm struggling. She said, my mom was baptized today. I pray for her every day for almost 20 years. The reason I'm crying is because I came this close to giving up on her. At the five year mark, I said, Who needs this? God isn't listening. At the 10 year mark, I said, Why am I wasting my breath? At the 15 year mark, I said, This is absurd. At the 19 year mark, I said, I'm just a fool. But I just kept trying, kept praying. Even with weak faith, I kept praying, she said. Then she gave her life to Christ. And she was baptized today. And this woman said, I will never doubt the power of prayer again. There may be many among us today that are only here because someone has prayed for you. We pray for you every week. James writes that the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins he will be forgiven therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed the effective prayer of a righteous person has great power and a wonderful verse prayer as mysterious and puzzling as it may be has great power as we pray to the god and creator of this universe Prayer with great power is determined not necessarily by the size of the ask, but how much the person is in sync with the movement of God and the will of God. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Chad from, uh, Pastor Chad from Grace Half Moon so rightly shared that Jesus in me is far greater than Jesus beside me. So if some of you who, uh, who may be thinking, Pastor, if a prayer is anointed, that's when it's powerful. We're saying the same thing. If the person doing the praying is truly anointed and filled with the Spirit of God, he or she will be fully in line with the work of God and his will. Why we pray determines how we pray as well as what we pray. Why we pray determines how we pray as well as what we pray. Here's the bad news. I believe many of us will never experience or practice effective prayer as we've outlined. You know why? Because we don't really have an embedded desire to be more like Christ. Listen carefully. If we're honest, some of us, many of us, struggle with following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, whom we call our Savior. We're not really willing to bear our cross daily because we don't really want to hear what God wants to say to us. Here's the thing. There's a risk in praying the way Jesus teaches us to pray. The risk is of engaging in biblical prayer is that when God may and most probably will reveal to us those things that we may not want or be willing to hear. And it's those very things that may very well stand in the way of us drawing closer to a holy God. We don't want to give up anything in the reality that we may have created for ourselves. We pray for blessings, but we don't have the guts to pray for the suffering that may come with following Jesus. See, this is the discipleship that is called for. We've become extremely comfortable in our own paradigm forgetting the Christological paradigm that we've been called to live in. Listen to what Abraham Lincoln said in 1863 after designating April 30th as a day of national humiliation, fasting, and prayer. Listen to what he said so long ago. He said, it is the duty of nations as well as of men who owe their dependence upon the overruling power of God to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon, and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. The awful calamity of civil war which now desolates the land may be but a punishment Inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. Listen carefully. He says, Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and uh, preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. We have grown in numbers, wealth, wealth, and power as no other nation has grown, but we have forgotten God. Wow. Wow. I tell you that I believe that it is an outright battle today. It's a competition of time. The more time our young people spend on social media, I tell you that the struggle is real. The images and views of those on social media is winning out against the Imago Dei, the image of God and the biblical views of our holy God. Our seniors have to be really diligent that the picture of a successful retirement is not the image the financial institutions or the Marriott timeshares have painted over and over again against the reality of a holy work theology that culminates and standing before the throne of judgment, judgment, longing to hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. Heroes are good, young people, but let our ultimate hero be shaped by their godly character to surrender his own will to the Father's will rather than shaped by their muscles and their athletic ability. Unless we deal with, With who we aspire to be like, we will always struggle with powerful prayer as we've outlined. But the gospel tells us of a time when Jesus struggled with the same thing as you and I struggle with. To the point where his request that he brought to God was God, if at all possible, could we change the plan? Could we change the plan? Let this cup pass from me, he prayed. And I, and I know and I like to think that this was a real struggle because the scriptures tell us that he sweat blood due to the stress, the real physical and mental struggle. But ultimately, he submitted to the will of his father and not his own and gave his life for you and for me. He went through with the plan. And prove to us that the prayer of a righteous man, the one righteous man can be and is effective to save our souls. If only you and I would give our lives to him. Why we pray determines how we pray and what we pray for. I'd like to end with this today. Prayer is not asking. It is a longing of the soul. It is daily admission of one's weakness. It is better in prayer to have a heart without words than words without a heart. You know who said that? Mahatma Gandhi. And he nailed it. But I will end with one other quote by one of my favorite authors, Brennan Manning. He said, as we come to grips with our own selfishness and stupidity, we make friends with the imposter and accept that we are impoverished and broken and realize that if we were not, we would be God. The art of gentleness toward ourselves leads to being gentle with others and is a natural prerequisite for our presence to God in prayer. Why we pray determines how we pray and what we pray for. Let us embrace the challenge, and I challenge all of us today to be prayer warriors, that we learn how to pray with great power because we understand this. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We love your word. We love your presence. And we love your grace and your mercy. Uh, God, may this truth about uh, this idea of prayer, Lord, if we were all honest, we struggle, all struggle with it but I pray that there would be paradigm shifts going on all over this place, in every location. God, that our understanding of prayer is that it is not a a lifeline in the sense of asking for stuff, but Lord, perhaps that we would call it a lifeline that would change us to be more and more like you. Would you implant deep within us, in each and every one of us, this innate desire, this passion to be more and more like you that will lead us to spend time more in intimate prayer, getting to know who you are. God, this is our prayer. We pray all of these in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.